No, everybody's characters got better. So they had they did the first season, and then in the beginning of this, excuse me, beginning of the second season, there was a writer's strike, mm-hmm. which is why you end up with. I think I think it's season two that ends with a fucking clip show. Like you guys haven't done enough work for a clip show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. As a uh, as a child of the of the nineties. Um, I definitely masturbated to Deanna Troy watching Star Trek, you know, more than once. Honestly. Oh, so, so Dr. You... Crusher, man. I was a Deanna Troy man. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, were, man. Were, were you then angry at season, I don't know if it was four or five, that, that they redesigned the uniforms so that the women's uniforms matched more the, the men's uniforms and her, you know, her... I don't know, man. There's st- there were still boobs. Okay. Yeah, the the, the, the V neck, the deep plunging V neck was gone. Yeah, whatever, you want me to be that type of dude And I want to be who you like me to But we both know I can't do nothing at all Welcome back. This is the first Dave's I Know podcast of 2021. Uh, we have the regular crew of uh, MJ and Dan. MJ, uh, happy Happy New Year. How are you doing? Same shit, different year, David. <laughs> is it though? Is it really? Uh, he Dan, is. Dan, happy, happy 2021 <laughs> to you as well. Um, please don't say the same contrite shit that MJ just said. <laughs> no, but I think he's right. I think uh, I think 2020 extends until, at the very least, inauguration day. I guess it's a fair point. Uh, fair point. I mean, you know, COVID's still going on. I mean, yeah, you know, we're people are trying to murder the line of succession in the, uh, in, the in the U.S. You know, just regular coup stuff that we typically see in other in other countries. My argument. Do you think is- Tom Clancy is mad? Like Tom Clancy wrote extensively about the fall of the U.S. government, like how it happens and all that kind of stuff. And it was these intricate plots with like, you know, like guns and airplanes and like foreign navies. Do you think he was mad that he didn't foresee like (laughs) Yal-Qaeda? Are you asking me if Tom Clancy is uh, rolling over his grave in hell and uh, and uh, and pissed off, you know, is Tom Tom Clancy in hell? I mean, is this, this is this, this is literally. Oh, he is. Dan, to your point, this is Tom Clancy's hell. I think is this shit <laughs> happening, and not the elaborate coups that he had jumped up in his uh, Tom or his uh, Jack Ryan novels. It's fucking. It's yeah. It's fucking uh, Yalanon. Um, <laughs> those guys uh, taking over the government. MJ, I would like to splinter away from this cell and talk about something else. <laughs> Good point. We should probably talk about soccer. Um, yeah, so thanks, everybody, for uh, allowing us to take a, a little bit of a, a hiatus there. Uh, it was, you know, there wasn't obviously a ton of MLS or Minnesota United news, so it actually made sense as a, as a time to take a break and 
honestly, it was a weird uh, end of the year, so it was really great for us to do a little bit of recharging. Um, I recorded a couple things, obviously, the night before Christmas uh, um, podcast, which I thought was I, I appreciated. I, I wrote it out, and, and I appreciated anybody who, who mentioned anything about it. Um, and then we dropped a, a, a old Watch Party podcast uh, into the feed, the Holy Goalie podcast, uh, which I thought was one of one of the best movies about soccer I've ever seen, which is, you know, a very, very low bar, but still a bar nonetheless. Uh, dropped that into the feed a couple weeks ago. So thank you, everybody, for sticking around. If you are interested in hearing more of the Watch Party stuff, you can always join the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Davis. I know uh, for most of you who are um, members who got beer, we have delivered your beer. Um, in fact, in some cases, somebody destroyed a beer. I had to deliver a second beer. Uh, the cribs you know who you are um it was it was a very a very sad a very sad story of him trying to open the beer and then him like sharing pictures of the beer on twitter being uh shattered and then him jumping into a comments asking how it tasted and you know smell he had he's like oh it ta- it smelled really good i couldn't taste it because i didn't want to lick up glass and so we hooked him up with a with a beer so if you are one of the people who i sent an email to and you have not gotten your beer yet um, because you've not responded to the email, please email me. Otherwise, um, we may have, be able to release a couple more of those beers to new Patreon subscribers. Uh, otherwise, we will be also working with Hopcos. The, so the entire plan for this, guys, um, you, MJ, and, and Dan, we've talked a little bit about this, but everybody else is that the idea is that we were going to set up tiers where we could actually have several beers released throughout the year. And obviously with COVID, that kind of threw things up in the uh, up in the crazy air. So um, I would like to get back to something like that, where you know at certain levels you are, get access to certain beers. the The official end of the year Dave's I know beer only accessible by you know certain levels. Um, so I'm hoping to, to revamp all that stuff. I'm creating a form where if you have something cool you want us to shout out or you just want us you know to call your buddy a, a fucking asshole on uh, on the internet, we can do that. Uh, new chairs coming again, as I mentioned, and then uh, I'm working on some mystery stuff that I have not yet. I can't even share with Dan and MJ, vis a vis the internet, right now. We can we'll do it off mic, but uh, some stuff I'm working on. I think you're gonna be really interested in uh, joining the Patreon. So Patreon.com/slash uh, the Daves I know to help support the Daves that you know. And thank you to everybody who who uh, continues to support us every month. It's it's kind of insane that we have like. 25 people who give us money every month that you know we're gonna be we used to pay for the, the things like the beer uh hosting fees things like that so really really appreciate all that stuff so uh dan we need to figure out what we're gonna do with heathout.com we do come we on do. man <laughs> let's do some brainstorming offline for we're that all writers we can all come up with content right we have right. ideas and then uh and then the substack newsletter uh dave's i know dot substack.com uh, i i so one of my 2021 goals was to write more and part of that was my goal i have a goal of writing 10 hours a week um part of that goal is to at least produce one substack newsletter a week i i failed the first week of jan first full week of january obviously because i didn't get one out although i got a couple out right towards the end of the year so i'll chalk that up to whatever um but then i have a couple goals of, of uh actually submitting pieces uh to either newsletters or to uh you know publishers or whatever um so I'll be writing more on the Substack. So Dave's I know the Dave's I know Substack dot Substack dot com. If you're interested in that. So, boys, let's talk about what happened with Minnesota United. There's a little bit of Minnesota United news. Uh, a lot of news in the last couple of days. Obviously, uh, the biggest news, uh, specifically related to the team, is a uh, Wilt Rap, 
just joined. Wilt Rap. Um, I, you know, any relationship with Wilt Chamberlain? Chamberlain? I think what? <laughs> what MJ? Sorry. I, I, we made the same joke. Okay. Yes, named after Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, Wilt Rap uh, is a uh, mid or, uh, yeah midfielder. Um, previously played for Columbus. Uh, most recently played for Inter Miami. Former U.S. Men's National Team player. Um, I don't know. He's a Will who spells his name weird. So, what do you guys got? <laughs> this is, is this a good signing for Minnesota United? Yeah, you know? it absolutely, it absolutely is. I mean, we we talked about him his profile a little bit when this was first rumored. Uh, he's a he's a really good ball progressing six. He's definitely the type of player who is the connecting piece between the offense and the defense. It's something we saw less last year and more in 2019. I think in 2019, though, what it was basically was with Ike Opara, uh, the defense pushed up a little bit higher. And then you had Ozzy with the same depth from the defense, but the, because the defensive line started higher, the the connection piece looked like it was there. Last year with Ozzy sort of in and out, with Ike no in just out we saw a more normal defensive line and we did see a gap start to emerge between the offense and the defense and that's exactly what a player like will trap is is, is, the problem he solves is probably the better way to put it so um honestly i think the biggest impact of a player like him will be on someone like jan gregush who instead of being a box-to-box eight can be more of a platform eight do a lot more recycling Uh, i suspect we will see a ton of goals next year that are Opara or Boxall to Trap to Gregush to Reynoso to whatever lucky bastard gets to play striker on this team because they're going to get about a million chances. Yeah, and this is, I should also point out, um, this doesn't preclude Ozzy Alonso resigning with the team. Um, he's not been, I believe, offered a contract, but uh, the team has, still has the negotiating rights with him, I think. I'm not, I'm, MLS rules are fucking weird, so who the hell knows, right? He's not officially gone from the team yet, so it, you know, signing World Trap does not mean that Ozzy Alonso's not in the team next year. So I uh, just want to throw that out there as well. MJ, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on World Trap? Uh, Dan summed up how he differs from uh, Ozzy Alonso in previous podcasts. And I'll just reiterate that, you know, he's not the shutdown defensive back that, that Ozzy is. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him play in this team in whatever system that Adrian Heath designs for this team. Because if you look at the way Adrian Heath wants to play or what we think he wants to play as far as a 4-2-3-1, Will Trap's a great six for, the, for that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I think the yeah the, the big questions here are what are we going to do? Uh, this has literally been the only signing from, from Minnesota. So it's interesting. Um, let's move on. So uh, Hassani Dotson uh, was called into the U23 camp. Uh, the U.S. men's national team um, is doing two congruent camps, one of full national team players, one of U23 players. It's interesting because they only called in, I believe, 12 actual full team, full national team players, um, which, didn't include Chase, which did not include Chase Gasper, which is something that a couple people, a podcast that I've talked to were like kind of a little bit, they were, it was a little head scratchy. Um, part of it, I think they called it a, a basically a full U23 camp. And I think the the idea here probably is that they're um, they're going to play a couple games uh, or at least a game at the end of the camp. And the idea is that they're going to let the U23s. They bring in all the, the 
almost all the players that they possibly can. I guess obviously all most of the MLS players, a couple of players from Europe who are out of contract or, or who are were released by their teams, who would potentially factor into the U23, which the, which is the Olympic roster, um, for for those not familiar, and let those players sort of gel, get some playing time together because their Olympic qualifying starts in March, if assuming everything goes forward. Um, I think the t- the uh, Olympic qualifying tournament is in Mexico. So I think the idea is bring in a bunch of players um, who would be eligible for that, who are going to be, who will probably be able to be released for that tournament. Sonny Dotson obviously has been very, um, very prevalent in that camp uh, for the, you know, last year as well. And then the best of the U23 players will get called up to the U.S. men's, the full national team as the filler for that roster as well. So um, you guys have any thoughts on either Hassan Dotson getting called in Um I mean, I, I think we all kind of expect him to probably be on that final Olympic qualifying roster and or thoughts on Chase Gasper not getting called into the to the the full national team. I think one of the interesting names that's also missing is Mason Toy. Um, this time right. last year, we were looking at Dotson, Toy and Gasper all getting called in. And now we're down to just Dotson, although I, I don't know. I feel like Gasper is probably still in the picture Last year is a hard year to evaluate players on. We did see him give more going forward. We also saw him be a little bit more of a liability at the back. So interesting. it would be interesting to me to hear what Greg Berhalter is telling him in terms of, hey, this is what we need from you. This is what we'd like to see more of. And whether that is in concert with what Adrian Heath would tell him or if they're in competition. I suspect it's, hey, you need to get better defensively. And hey, your last ball needs to be better, which... If that's different from what Adrian Heath is telling him, that's a crisis because that is a objectively true and b something literally every fullback could be told. Yeah, there's there's so to be fair, there's there's the you know Olympics, assuming the team qualifies, uh, Concacaf Nations League semifinals and finals. There's Gold Cup and then there's uh, World Cup qualifiers all all starting this year. It would not surprise me if we see Chase Gasper, I mean, even if just if he's just for the called up for the Gold Cup. The first, uh, you know, the first several matches of the Gold Cup um, as maybe, you know, uh, depth, basically. So it's, it wouldn't surprise me if Chase Gasper does get a call up, um, especially if, as you, you alluded to, Dan, he sort of has been I'm sure he's I'm sure he's communicating with the U.S. coaches and they're trying to tell him what they need him to do. So, yeah, I think that's a given, you know, any player on the periphery like Gasper is, because I think we can all agree that he's not the the starter for this team at all. And maybe not even one of the the first name backups. I mean, he's he's a guy who could make the squad. He's also a guy who could be the first name off the squad. So I guarantee that there's an ongoing conversation there. The biggest thing for me going into this camp that I'm watching is what Hassani Dotson does and where they play him. Um, I my big concern with Hassani's development is that he's getting Tyler Adams. Uh, we have seen him be a very effective box to box eight. We have seen him arguably be more effective as a right back he's been cast in as a six almost more than anything last year but I think that's probably his weakest of the three positions that's it's probably going to be one of those three but I'll be really interested to see where Burhalter puts him and I wonder if I wonder if there's any conversation between Inchi and Burhalter on what Dotson's development path is because he is an unbelievable athlete and his soccer IQ is off the charts, which means you can kind of throw him anywhere and and he'll do fine, but he's getting to the age where we need to start seeing him develop a mastery at one position and not just a versatility at everything. So it'll be really interesting to me to see where Burhalter 
deploys him and whether it's mostly in a defensive minded role or if he really tries to push him into that box to box position more. Uh, well, so Jason Christ is, is coaching the U23. So I'll be interested to see what Jason Christ does with him. Actually, I think his versatility makes him a much more likely in the, I believe the Olympic roster is only 18 spots. So his versatility actually, I think will behoove him for this, this next summer in that he can, he can be on the roster because he can play five different positions, right? Um, more or less there are four, four different positions. He can play either the fullbacks and in, you know, two probably, you know, uh, either as a six or an eight, uh, depending on how the U S wants to line up. Um, but long-term, you're right. I think it, it really, it's going to be up to him, I think, to figure out where his best position ultimately lies, at least in the, in the near term. And, you know, whether that is staying with Minnesota or, or moving somewhere else, but I think his versatility actually will be a benefit to him in, in getting him onto that very, it's a very small roster for the Olympics. It's again, it's only 18 players. Um, versus and three of them are going to be veterans. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I think it's maybe 21 with, with, with three, the three being veterans, 18 U23 players. So um, I think he definitely, that his versatility is going to be a, a benefit there. It's definitely a benefit for Minnesota United in that he can do a lot of stuff. I don't, so, I mean, for him, it's maybe where does he need to make a move to, to not be in a position where he's going to be deployed in all these different roles and, and can establish himself in one set position. So. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think one of the interesting things, I, I totally agree with you that his versatility will put him on the Olympic roster because the other piece of this is unlike uh, World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cup, Nations League, all that kind of stuff where uh, European teams are required to release players. The Olympics is not in a FIFA san- sanctioned tournament, which means no one has to release players. MLS has in the past really given deference to the national team and for good reason. Um, but I could see that factoring into the calculation as well. So having a domestically based MLS player with his level of versatility. Yeah. I would be shocked to see Hassani Dodson left off the U23s. Yeah. Now the question following that is, okay. So as you pointed out that the U S needs a huge squad this year for all of these tournaments, because they're not going to exhaust the same guys. And, and like Christian Pulisic is not playing a full Chelsea season and then a de facto full USMNT season. They're going to have to cycle guys. And, and with the end and, and playing Olympics as well. He's not doing that either. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, there's no way Pulisic is on the, on the Olympic roster. Chelsea wouldn't release him. I don't think. Uh, it, Cause they've got to make, they've got to put some lines in the sand or, or not so much the U S but there are other national teams that are shallower that would just run a guy into the ground. Cause the fuck do they care? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to me to see where else Dotson pops up. If, Cause if he's just an Olympic player, that I think is an indictment of his development because clearly before they were, they were looking at him as part of the, the full setup. So he could very easily be a gold cup player. He could be a nation's league player. I, I doubt we'll see him in world cup qualifying, but it'll be interesting to see with all of these different tournaments, I think we'll get a clearer picture of not just who does the U.S. think their best 18 or 21 is, but also who is that next tier down and who's the next tier below that. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's talk about some former Minnesota United players. Uh, the biggest one, biggest news, uh, obviously happening very recently. Uh, Kevin Molino signs with the Columbus crew. Um, this is an interesting, I think we, the, all three of us sort of like conjectured that maybe he had some offers outside of MLS. Cause we didn't, really expect him to stay with MLS based on the MLS collective bargaining agreement um, 
roster or you know salary limitations and stuff. Uh, but he signs with the, the Columbus Crew. Um, so the Columbus Crew, who who also just picked up Bradley Wright Phillips, uh, and haven't lost any of their players really for the most part, um, are just getting better with their attack. Um, we're assuming obviously Molino stays healthy and all that. I think the the interesting quote here, uh, this is from a Andy Greeter tweet. Uh, that was a uh, interview that Kevin Molino gave, gave uh, to somebody else. I can't remember exactly, but basically he said, uh, this is the quote, perfect time now to have a different change, different environment, new coach and change of scenery. I will have more quality players playing with. So I'm looking forward to the challenge, which is a interesting, maybe slightly damning quote of Minnesota United and Adrian Heath, which is weird because, you know, considering how, fucking loyal Adrian Heath was to, to Kevin Molino. And I'm not going to, I don't want to throw anybody particularly under the bus here, but um, how about, what were your guys' thoughts to Kevin Molino signing with the uh, Columbus crew? Uh, MJ, what you want to start? I think it's a great fit. He, he will have more competition for his position there. And, you know, maybe he can accept either a starting role where he gets subbed off earlier or he's, he's coming off the bench, but I, I think it will, I think he will have different demands because of the better depth there. Yeah. He also actually, yeah. Zell, I mean, Lucas Zellran is no Bebelo Reynoso, but he's awfully fucking good. So, yeah. um, and you know, they have a, a lot of players who will, you know, as we, we just kind of alluded to with the, um, the, all the U S games, Jossie's artist is going to be out a lot. So there's gonna be a lot of, uh, Pedro Santos, uh, probably some call-ups, um, there's gonna be a lot of, uh, of player movement in and around Columbus around the, the international breaks as, as well. So we know might have some opportunities there. Dan, do you have uh, any other thoughts? I mean, he might, but of all of those guys, I guess Zardes is probably the most likely to get a call up, but Molino's a hot number two. I think he's about the second name on the Trinidad and Tobago team sheet these days. So it'll be interesting to see how many games he even plays. Uh, on an earlier podcast, I, I preface this the same way I'm going to preface it now, which is, Look, the talk about loyalty in sports is extremely, extremely overwrought. Um, if a guy can go out and get more money, more years, better scenery, more power to him. Molino didn't really do any of that. No. Um, he he got the same amount of money um, because that's MLS rules. Uh, he got arguably less playing time. Uh, he stayed in the same league. I just... And well, honestly, I, I've been to Columbus. It's it's no Minneapolis. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Co- Columbus is barely a it, it's no Oklahoma City. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I suppose Columbus at least has turf on their field, so that's a that's a mark in their favor over uh, Rio. Fair, fair enough. Yes, uh, they're, they're no Rio. <laughs> they're no Rio. Okay, see, but uh, <laughs> look, like I don't know. Fuck, I'm just gonna come out and say it. I hate this. And it's not, I'm not jealous. I'm not, I don't think Minnesota United can't replace Kevin Molino. I just think of all the people in sports who have actually shown some semblance of loyalty, it's Adrian Heath to Kevin Molino. Like there were times in his Minnesota United career that Heath could have cast Molino aside, like in the middle of an injury when he was out of contract. And, like, that's a shitty thing to do that teams do all the time. I mean, this is just kind of the the lingua franca. Like, you you screw players because you can, and players show no loyalty because also they can. And this was, this was a different situation. And so, I don't know. Like, it kind of it pisses me off that he would choose to stay in MLS and 
go play for Columbus. Obviously, Kevin Leno doesn't owe me a damn thing. And the fact that he's going to the Eastern Conference means Minnesota will see him once next year, which at most. At, at mo- well, right, that's exactly it. Because given his health history, his age, and his likely call-ups to Trinidad and Tobago, I would say he probably ends up playing less than half of Columbus's games. And if you're going to rest him, you probably, I mean, he would probably choose to play against Minnesota United from a strategic standpoint. You rest him against Western Conference teams. So, I don't know. Like, I, I wish him the best. This is, you know, this is not a, a spurned axe or any bullshit like that. It's just... I wish it were different and I wish it were better, but it's not. So screw them. Uh, I hope Columbus, the entire city burns down. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I hope he has a good season. I hope he's more than anything because this is Kevin Molina. We're talking about not a random player. I hope he's healthy. I hope his knees hold up. I hope the fans love him there. And I hope Minnesota United replaces him with a player who knows that you don't have 10 seconds to make decisions on the ball. You have to move a little more quickly than that. Right. I, and I think the biggest thing that I take away from all this, and, and maybe I'm reading tea leaves or whatever, um, but so Minnesota United could have offered Kevin Molino more money. Um, they, they could have offered him a TAM deal or a DP deal, honestly, uh, at any point before the reentry draft, basically. Like Minnesota United had the opportunity to do that. And they didn't. So when Adrian Heath came out and we sort of reacted to the quote when he when they when they did it back in December uh, before we took our break, basically, Adrian, Heath said we offered him the max that we could offer him. That's not true. That's actually a lie. Um, it's it's a, it's a half truth. It's not a, it's not a full lie, but they could have offered him more money at any point during the year. They could have offered him a contract extension. They could have made him a higher paid player. Um, they they basically valued him at what they valued him at, which is basically what he got from Columbus. He could have taken that for Minnesota. So that either, that either means to me that the, the, this front office is, so there's a couple things here and I'm going to effusively maybe throw some praise at the front office. They, they value Kevin Molino at a certain level and they say, this is what we can, this is Kevin Molino's value. We think we can get someone either, you know, at this value or cheaper that can do the same things that Kevin Molino can. And so now it's up to the team and Adrian Heath and Mark Watson to prove they can find somebody who can do the stuff that Kevin Molino does. And with someone like Babelo, they probably can, right? I'm sure you can find someone who can do some of the same shit that Kevin Molino can do. And, 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 you know, theoretically stay healthy, you know, again, not throwing any shade at Kevin Molino because that's injuries and shit is that's some, some freak freak of nature stuff. Right. So I'm not going to say kudos to the, to the team for sticking to their guns right now, because we don't know what's going to replace him yet. Right. So I'm, I'm withholding my judgment in that respect, but I think that is, that kind of sums up um, what Minnesota is trying to do is that they value him at a certain level. They're saying, we're not going above this level. If you can do something else, that's up to you. It's fine. And, you know, I really hope it works out for Kevin Molino and the team and ideally better for the team than Kevin Molino. And, in terms of us, you know, winning a title before Columbus Crew win one again, so that's uh, that's kind of where I, where I fall on that. So, yeah, and I think your all of your points are right. Uh, a phrase I literally never thought I would say on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> but my goddamn uh, podcast. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, you speak for yourself, Dan. Yeah, I mean, as I always do. Um, 
look, I think I think we're all in agreement that if the choice was give Kevin Molino a DP deal or watch him walk, the team made the right choice. I think. Oh with, yeah, hundred percent. I think with a Tam deal, it gets a little bit fuzzier, but. And I realize of the three of us, I'm the one who rates Molino the least. <laughs> you, yes, you. Yes, you are. But I. I think that's the right call. I think the team valued him as an exceptionally good regular roster player. And I think that's correct. So what'll be really interesting now is, okay, so that money is freed up. You still have the ability to buy down uh, young Greg deal. You still have all of this TAM money. You have the DP slots open. What are you going to do? And I think that's the one thing that makes me a little bit nervous is I assume Adrian Heath would have been more open and honest about the future with Kevin Molino than with about anyone else. So here's why we need you really sell them on the program. My fear is that Molino took one look at that and said, I don't think this is a team that can win a title and bolted. Now the flip side of that is Adrian showed him the plan and Kevin Molino said, I'm going to have to fight for my place and I'm not about that life and bolted. Right. So, I don't know. You're dead on. What happens next is what's important, but the decision made so far was the correct one. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think, yeah, I think all this will depend on what happens in the next, you know, six weeks or whatever, as we are um, looking to sign. We're not, you know, weirdly not seeing any uh, or many Mark Fangmeyer uh, watches, uh, you know, the the watches, uh, you know, the, the watches on the wall are not doing their jobs, apparently. But we'll talk a little bit about a watch that is flamed out here in a hot second. Um, so we had a couple of departures as well. Raheem Edwards uh, departed, uh, went to LAFC in the re-entry draft. And then James Musa obviously is leaving Minnesota, said farewell via Instagram. MJ, do you have any specific thoughts on either of these guys? Although other than other, I heard from several people, Raheem Edwards, there's a reason Raheem Edwards is now on his like what seventh team uh, in MLS. Um, there's a reason. Yeah. With, I can say this from, from managing sports teams and even from managing stuff at work that there's what's reported and what's every, what everybody sees. And then there's the stuff that you don't see, you know, the stuff that everyone sees is a SMH tweet. Um, there's the stuff that you don't see. And that could be, you know, some stuff that paints, Raheem Edwards in a very positive light, and it could be some stuff that, you know, paints him in a very negative light. We just don't know. Um, he has moved around a lot. Athletic-wise, talent-wise, you look at, you know, 12 games, three assists, only two starts, um, did not get a lot of playing time in those 12 games. And with three assists, I really liked his dynamic play. I really liked his style of play and a natural left winger, which Minnesota United desperately needs and has not had. Uh, so I'm sad to see him go. He obviously wasn't getting along with Adrian Heath, and he may not have been getting along with other parts of the coaching staff or front office either. We don't know. But um, I'm sad to see that one go. I wish him the best. Uh, James Musa was not the depth at uh, defensive back and uh, back line that I was hoping for. So I'm hoping that whoever we get that can be a center back, defensive mid, or center back and fullback, someone who has defensive mindset 
that is willing to be not an everyday player will be better than James Musa. But I, I wish them both luck. Musa strikes me as the type of player who, if you offer him any type of long-term deal, you had better have had your socks knocked off. Because he, he strikes me as sort of the, in baseball, we would call this a quad A talent, a guy who's not quite right for this level, but probably a little too good for the level below. I think James Musa will be a great player in probably USL next year, but <clears throat> there are plenty of guys at his caliber. So you either give him the league minimum or you say, we're going to go fishing again. Honestly, I wish this team would take another look at Joe Greenspan. Speaking of USL defensive talent, like, that guy's awesome. And 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 freely available. So it hasn't had a concussion in a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. And then finally, uh, this just kind of broke today. Luis Amaria is uh, apparently going on loan to Ecuador uh, to is it uh, Liga de Quito? Is that Liga the, de Quito? Uh, Liga de Quito. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, with a apparently, it sounds like as I kind of I. I could not pull up the Mark Fang Martweet. Apparently he's on loan for a year with an option for uh, a team to buy his rights for 50% of his transfer rights or whatever. Um, not a good sign for Minnesota United if they were expecting. And I think a lot of us thought, you know, of course, Louis Emery is going to come back. He's going to come back on another loan, maybe like revised, um, you know, purchase rights or whatever. Uh, it sounds like that is not the case. Now Luis Amaria is going to uh, Ecuador and Minnesota United. Uh, still looking for a goddamn striker. MJ? I was so looking forward to seeing on the stat sheet next year, you know, Amaria assist or Amaria goal, Reynoso assist. Like, I was looking to seeing those two build a lot of chemistry, and that gene is now gone. The weird thing with Amaria is that I don't know that we ever knew what we had. Like, that's, he that's played two games – when when he was fully we know he was healthy we know he played well and he looked great he looked mobile and he looked really engaged in the game and it would have been so exciting to see that that type of movement especially with Reynoso and from there on out whatever we saw was a diminished version of him and I don't know if that has to do with the ankle injury that eventually ended his season because we have no idea when that started I don't know if it was COVID lockdown, I don't know, like he was dealt a really bad hand in Minnesota, and I can see why the front office was keen to bring him back. But it's really hard for me to get upset about losing him, because if you just look at the stat lines, they didn't really lose that much. Um, right. Yeah. What, what, once again, I suspect this is the same situation that we just talked about with Molino, that the front office made the right decision, but now it's time to get somebody in there. Um I think the one thing this this to me, and I know we'll get into this in a bit, but having the DP slot open and now really needing a striker tells me the team should go out and spend the money to bring in a really class striker to work with their really class number 10. 100%. And let's, that's actually a really great transition. So the, the big question we have, and we're, we're just going to tackle one big question right now um what are minnesota united's and this is mj's question so i'll let mj go first what are minnesota united's biggest needs obviously let's just i'm just gonna leave it let's leave let's leave it wide open mj um okay. what are the biggest needs for minnesota united 
maybe you let's let's only take one at a time. So maybe you you, you tell us what you think the biggest need is. We'll we'll talk about that, and then we can sort of kind of go around until we're we're out of big needs for for this team. So why don't you start, and you can lead us off with whatever that you think the biggest need for this club is right now. Well, previously I've always said a number six understudy to uh, Ozzy Alonso. We have Will Trap now, so that kind of goes away. Striker is the obvious one, and we need a we need a striker. There are other needs that we have that I'll let my colleagues talk about that are also very glaring and obvious. But outside of the traditional, we need someone at this position to cycle back around to the Asani Dotson conversation, which I had very little to say. We need to find a way to get Hassani Dotson in the starting 11, whatever that is. And so this isn't, uh, we need a left fullback or we need a striker. We definitely need those things, but we need to find a way to get Hassani Dotson regular starting minutes because he's just that good. All right. That's a, that's a fair point. Uh, Dan, what do you think is our biggest, biggest need? I uh Hassani Dotson in the starting eleven. <laughs> I will take the traditional view on this and and point out a hole rather than a, a peg that needs one. Um it's it's striker. I think we saw <clears throat> we saw last year that this team, as currently composed, can be good enough defensively. Boxall and Tabasi may not be your first choice center back pairing, but it's solid. I would say it's above average for the league, and that presupposes nothing from Icopara and we don't know that that's going to be the case. I, If I were the front office, uh, and, and while I contain multitudes, I don't contain quite that many multitudes. If I were the entire front office, I would go into this offseason assuming no games for Mike Opara next year. Just because you have to be able to build your kind of worst case scenario team. Because if he comes in and he's healthy, awesome, super. There's no player, honestly, there's no player in the U.S., defensively speaking, that he isn't an upgrade over. Maybe Walker Zimmerman. I'll I say Walker Zimmerman has. A, Walker Zimmerman. I'd like to have a conversation with you there, but yeah. But okay, so we're not getting him from Nashville. That's a given, which means any other player. Fair enough. Fair I go par immediately upgrades. So okay, so you build a defense that you're happy with, and then if Opar is in there, awesome. You're that much better. And I think they're at that level right now. I think, yeah, left fullback probably isn't great. Um, I'm worried about the left wing now that Molino's gone. And I, I actually I kind of talked myself into a different version of this answer. They need a goal scorer. If they want to play Foster Langsdorf up top, because he's this amazing holdup player, the player that Angelo Rodriguez was always supposed to be, and then have the goal scoring come from the left wing and lewd on the right. I'm fine with that, but they need someone who is just lethal. Um, and actually, as much as I would be okay with that setup, I would like to see not necessarily a traditional number nine in terms of being a back to goal spin and shoot or a headed player, but I would like to see a goal poaching striker, somebody who if they get 13, 14 goals, we're happy, but a little disappointed. I want the theory of Kai Kamara, not the Kai Kamara we actually saw. So you want Christian Ramirez? I would be very happy with that. I would honestly, though, if we brought in Ramirez, I would like to see a DP over on the left wing because I think they need. Hey, shut up, shut up, dude. You're, you're, I was, <laughs> I was setting, I was setting myself up there because <laughs> the answer clearly to Minnesota's biggest need is now that, especially now that Kev Molino's gone, a left wing. 
Um, because I think we can, I think we can get someone like Ramirez, if not Ramirez specifically. Um, and not because I think we need someone like, you know, a, a DP, uh, goal scoring, uh, Molino-esque type, you know, but maybe a little faster than Molino on the left. It's because we don't want fucking Robin Lude on the left. That's the, that's, that's the only <laughs> reason we just don't want fucking Robin Lude on the left. Keep Robin Lude on the right where he belongs. Uh, with Ethan Finley and those guys fighting and those guys challenging each other for time and, and starts and all that. Um, when Robin Lude, you know, goes off for international duty or whatever, like Ethan Finley can play and, 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 or, you know, whatever. Uh, but we need someone on the left. Um, and I, I, I agree. I think, so I think we, this team has, sh- can, can make two DP spots available. And I think they absolutely need one to be a striker. Um, you know, whether it's a, you know, uh, like that sort of that back to goal number nine, like you were talking about, Dan, or, or you know, different kind of striker. And also, I think they need a left winger, a true left winger. This team has, I don't even know. I mean, how, how many left wingers has this team had just in MLS? 15? 16 different left wingers? How many left wingers have started for this team in, in MLS? It's it's an insane number. It's double digits. It's it's not a low double. Digit. It's not like ten or eleven. It's like fifteen or sixteen. Um, that doesn't include all the left wingers in 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 you know the the Minnesota United FC history, which is dates back you know a few years before MLS, and then going even back into the Stars days. This team has had a lot of fucking left wingers, and we haven't found one that fits. And so, um, you know, I, God man, like, I would love to bring back Sam Nicholson to play with this team. Not like in a DP role. Obviously, if we're going to get a, a left wing DP, we need to have a, a better DP than that. But I think the left wing DP is the the biggest need. So let's 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 all do one more. So we said uh, a uh, left wing DP uh, number nine. Uh, MJ, who's yours again? You had uh, oh, Dasani. Uh, I, I want Dasani in the starting eleven. All right. So MJ, well, if the, if we had. Not any of those three, but what would be your next biggest need for this team? And you could do anything. Obviously, you threw out the depth coaching front office. What would your, be your next biggest need for this team? We need a – wait, striker and left wing are taken? We need yes, center back depth regardless of Opara presence or not. And this goes to a lot of things that Dan already has said. Um, Boxall and Debassi are, are a great combo, but – we need someone now that Moose is gone. It, we, we need someone other than just Brent Coleman and Aha. Aha's gone as well. So, yeah. So, we need someone other than Brent Coleman, uh, you know, and uh, someone who can step in if uh, there's an injury or any sort of situation where we need depth at center back. We need something there. Fair point. Uh, Dan, what would be your, your second? I guess fifth biggest need for this team after that center back zip. <laughs> this is like the like the complete opposite of a draft. You're like literally drafting needs instead of players. It is. Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say a left back at Gasper's level or higher. Um, I don't think this team needs a project. I wouldn't necessarily choose them to spend a draft pick on left back. They need someone who's going to push Gasper. Um, and I actually don't have a massive preference if it's an attacking-minded fullback or somebody who's a little stronger defensively. But they need one of those aspects shored up. Uh, 
and I think it can go either way. Gun to my head, I would probably take a left winger who can cross, or a left fullback, sorry, who can cross as well as Metinair can on the right, just to give the team flexibility to attack from either direction. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and honestly, kind of as we're talking through this, I think it underscores how good this team is and should be next year. You know, you fill these holes, and there's such concrete things that need resolution. This team should be challenging for all three trophies next year. You mean all four? I don't. I like whether I agree with the uh, the Concacaf not Champions League, whatever the Concacaf Europa League equivalent is. I don't think it's going to happen. Dan, don't be a coward. All four, buddy. Come on. <laughs> Um, I'm really glad that you picked that because I was going to pick that um, and you allow me to say we need to upgrade. Our biggest need is a, a better coach. Uh, <laughs> I know it's Adrian Heath's birthday. He turned 60 today. Hey, happy birthday, Adrian. Happy birthday, NCAA Big 6-0. Um, we've, we've mentioned this several times over the course of the last year. I think Adrian Heath actually has and could theoretically have a a decent like prospect as a general manager or sporting director in this league. I think he's done a really good job. And maybe, and, and maybe that's Mark Watson, and maybe that's not Adrian Heath. Maybe we're just giving Adrian Heath a lot of credit for the work that Mark Watson's doing, which is a very real possibility. Um, prepare to eat my words on that. But I, if if Amos McGee like Adrian Heath, seems like Adrian Heath has been has been the guy sort of like you know sort of directing things, and and um, obviously he's not able to go watch and and travel down to Argentina and and Boca and all those places. But it seems like you know. Um, he has a, he has a, a good eye for talent and I just, you, know, you see all the people who have been, who have jumped ship on this team. It's it, that's, I mean, I don't know, even the most ardent Adrian Heath apologist has to, has to read something into what Kevin Molino said about leaving this team and the coaching and the challenge. I'm just, I, I, I can't, that's just, that's just, so I got to stay on brand. Uh, Adrian Heath would, I mean, if we can upgrade at the coaching position, that would be fantastic. So, if here's here's a what if if Minnesota United were to somehow be able to, even though the existing contracts in MLS were able to swap Adrian Heath for Caleb Porter, does Molino come back? I don't know, but I would jerk off whoever I needed to do to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say exactly. yes. I'm gonna say yes. I think I think part of Molino's push to, to change is not the literal change of scenery because it's not like this isn't like you moved to a city that is culturally similar to Trinidad and Tobago. Columbus is not. Uh, I, th- I think it does come down to coaching. And I don't think that's necessarily because Adrian Heath is a bad coach, but Adrian Heath has been his coach since Kevin Molina was a young player and not a player in the end of his career. That's a fair point. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss some MLS news. We have a, a, a once a loon segment from MJ, as they're always fun. And we'll talk a, a little bit of Europe as well. So uh, we'll wrap it. You want me to be that type of dude, and I want to be who you like me to, but we both. <laughs> All right, and we're we're back, um, guys. I so I put out a, a tweet on my uh, personal Twitter feed this uh, this afternoon. So when I I bought uh, my father in law, uh, we we bought our father my father in law a, a Miss United collared shirt for um, 
for Christmas this year. He's moving. He, he'll, he'll be retiring from uh, working at the UW Madison uh, soon, and then we move into Minnesota. And we're trying to like you know get him more inoculated to Minnesota stuff, and we got a uh, Adrian Heath Heath Inchy gnome as part of our present for shopping at the Minnesota United store. They were literally giving away the gnomes. So I have two inchy gnomes now, which is more inchy gnomes than probably a lot of people have in, in this world. I have two of them. So I threw out a tweet just kind of jokingly today about uh, uh, I, I would like to create some clothing for one of the inchy gnomes so I can like put the inchy gnome in clothing. Uh, and I, cause I really want to put like a, like a sweater, like Adrian Heath in a Dave's I Know sweater as well as an uh, Adrian Heath in a I'm with stupid with the arrow pointing up shirt as part of like, just put, like, I just want to have clothes to put on my Andrew Adrian Heath gnome and like, and then place him and like take pictures and stuff like kind of like elf on a shelf, but like, you know, inchy in a pinchy kind of thing. Um, gnome so, in your home. Gnome in my home. Uh, yeah. I like inchy in a pinchy, uh, especially if it's like near mm-hmm. the toilet and stuff. So um, <laughs> if the gnome is in your home, then it's Heath in. It is. It is true. true. I do have, like I said, I, I challenge those out there who are eight, Heath out. Uh, how many gnomes they have in their home? I have two in my home right now. So, um, place the Heath in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about? Uh, all right, let's 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 move on. <laughs> uh, silliness. Let's, let's let's walk away from the burning wreckage of that <laughs> discussion. Silliness abounds. Um, as it, as you, as you should be expecting on the Dave's No podcast, uh, let's talk MLS news. Uh, let's talk a couple of the of head coach signing stuff, and then we'll we'll jump into some of the other bigger things. Uh, Greg Vanny, uh, the much rumored, um, the worst kept secret in MLS, uh, eventually signs with the LA Galaxy as their head coach. And uh, Brian Schmetzer, uh, who it was weird that he had not resigned uh, signed a a contract extension with Seattle ahead of everything that went on, eventually resigns with Seattle. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on on Schmetzer resigning with Seattle? Greg, I mean, I don't think Schmetzer was probably going to go anywhere. He, the guy's a Seattle lifer. Greg Vanny, uh, no surprises here. Yeah, Greg Vanny theoretically had some potential opportunity to go to Europe. Um, probably not the in the sort of the same Jesse Marsh route. He probably would have had to, had to go to like a Norwegian or you know some sort of a, a Scandinavian uh, league team. But uh, Greg Vanny goes to LA. He played for LA Galaxy. He obviously fits a lot with what they are trying to do. Do you guys have any specific thoughts on either of these guys uh, signing their their deals? I mean, Greg Vanny, technically speaking, did go abroad. Uh, he was in Canada last year, so coming to the, coming to the U.S. is a change of scenery for good old Greg <laughs> Vanny. All right, yeah. Um, no, look, I think Fuck you. A, yeah, 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 yeah. I know you missed me. Uh, I think it's a great signing for LA. I mean, I think LA's biggest problem is still the fact that they're paying Chicharito an ungodly amount of money, and he did not look interested in playing in MLS last year. So, welcome to the show, Greg Vanny. Here's your job. Uh, but I think I think it's a great move for them. I'm surprised Scalato didn't pan out in MLS. I would also not be surprised to see him get another shot here somewhere. I think he's a good coach uh, that was just in a pretty rough situation. I think, I think LA is a tough market to work in, particularly given that front office's proclivity for hiring the biggest name star they can. I mean, you went from Slatan, whose ego is so large that the Italian government had him film a COVID PSA in which he said, COVID can't attack me, but you are not strong like Slatan. wear a mask. (laughs) Like, 
I look this up. The PSA is awesome, and it's hysterically slanted. But you but go that, from that him would like, that would be like Arnold Schwarzenegger doing that PSA in like 1992 in, yeah. in the U.S. That'd be yeah. that would, that's the literal equivalent of that, right? And and the same level of completely ridiculousness and uh, you know yeah. I'm honestly, I wish that would have happened. I wish Arnold Schwarzenegger did more, more 1992. PSAs. I mean, he did, he did condemn uh, the the people who stormed the Capitol as Nazis. Uh, oh, his his PSAs now are great. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. But anyways, he is incredibly effective in political communication, and I would not have guessed that the first time I watched Conan the Barbarian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, the gifted orator. Um, <laughs> anything, anything he did, like. Pre nineteen ninety eight, basically, would be right. like, eh, yeah, that guy, not, yeah, not so much. Anyways, um, yeah, if you if you jump back and you tell seven year old Dan, hey, you see that guy on the screen, the guy, the Terminator, yeah, it turns out he's going to be incredibly articulate and thoughtful in his speech, and he's going to really rally the American people against the president. And I was like, what the fuck, man? Which just goes to show you that modernity is bad. Um, yeah. But look, I mean, I, I don't envy Greg Vanny this job. I think this is going to be really difficult, and I don't think it's ever going to stop being difficult for this reason. Because if it's not Zlatan, it's Chicharito. If it's not Chicharito, it's whoever comes next. Um, Mezzanozil, who knows? I mean, the, the world's a big place. And he's already said you he wants to finish you, buddy. this year. But he said he wants to finish his career playing in two leagues, Turkey and the U.S. True. So I think he will be in MLS eventually. Um, so I... I think it's a great fit. More power to him. I would be very surprised if he has the same level of success with LA that he did with Toronto, even on a similar budget, just because Toronto tended to take these extremely expensive, talented players who could mesh into a system. Whereas LA wants the absolute star power. Um, I, I'll I'll tip in on uh, on Spencer. I think you're right here. I, I I think it was always likely that he was going to go back to Seattle. I'd be interested to know what other offers he did have. Um, the timing of it almost makes it seem like he was fishing for the LA job, which seems like a really bad fit. So I think at the end of the day, no matter what happened with either of these two, I think they all made the right choice. And now all eyes on Toronto to see what they do. MJ, the real question I have is how are the fans of the galaxy going to square the circle of that their current coach used to be the coach of Chivas USA? <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Uh, all right. So the other big news, ML Superdraft is happening on January 21st. Um, uh, I think Soccer by Ives just posted their their uh, most recent uh, draft preview, and I think it had Minnesota selecting a center back from some school at some point. So, uh, all right. Then finally, uh, the other, obviously the, the biggest MLS news, uh, force majeure was enacted by the, uh, MLS, uh, owners. So to catch you guys all up, uh, basically, uh, MLS and the players association were in the middle of negotiating a contract, uh, before the season started last year, 2020, that's their CBA had run out at the end of 2020, or at the end of 2019, um, they had agreed in principle to a lot of things uh, for a contract, uh, basically agreed to pretty much in everything in February. They Neither side had a vote. So the owners had not had voted on the CBA and the players had not voted on the CBA. Uh, they started, but they had a, a um, an agreement basically in place that they were going to play. 
they were short the season regularly, um, not lockout, not strike, uh, with the idea that we're going to ratify this CBA very early on in the season. And of course, COVID hits. So in order to get back into playing, uh, the teams, the, the players and the, the owners had to basically renegotiate the CBA. So they had to enter into another round of contract negotiations. So the second round of contract negotiations they were engaged in within the last three months, four months, basically at, the, at this point, this is in uh, the spring of 2020. Uh, they renegotiate the CBA. They make some changes to it. Uh, players take a, a, a pay cut, a small pay cut. Um, they allow things like a force majeure clause to be inserted into the contract and get the game up and running. They play the ML spec tournament, which is a huge success. They get a season finished, which was mostly a success. Let's put it that way. It's they still had a lot of a lot of shit that they had to deal with. Um, and basically, they they extend their, the CBA to twenty. 24 i believe is actually when they uh extended the cba and and pushed off some of the the tv payment stuff because the tv contracts are coming up for um mls in after this season so in 2022 is when the new uh tv contracts will be um enacted so long story short mls players association negotiated two different contracts basically over the course of, of you know four months five months six months, maybe um, at the most um, they play a season. There's significant impact in terms of travel, in terms of being away from families. Um, there's still COVID outbreaks. There's still, you know, lots of crazy stuff that happens. Uh, and then about two weeks ago, the MLS owners decide that they're going to enact. And, and so as part of the agreements to get the season up and running, a force majeure uh, language is inserted into the contract uh, the players association at the the CBA that the team the teams and the players agree to uh, force majeure basically act of God sort of you know things are things are changing so dra- dramatically that we can't operate under the agreements of this contract um, you know this is there's there's a couple of thoughts I have here as someone who is very 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 union pro pro labor um i'm not gonna i don't want to jump too much into it I'll, I'll let these guys jump in anyways the the owners enact the force majeure which basically says we need to re- in good faith renegotiate the contract for 30 days um if we can't renegotiate the contract that gives that opens the cba up to being um you know completely wide open again which means that players could uh strike owners could lock players out uh and that's where i'll leave it at that i don't want to comment anymore but uh do you guys have any thoughts specifically on this i know you guys have thoughts let's talk about your thoughts um mj let's start with you i have very few thoughts on this <laughs> dude I mean, every time i go to you're like <laughs> i got nothing <laughs> sorry i'm sorry I, man I, really do. I like i'm sorry I, i'm sorry dan well, i'm sure you'll have i'm sure you'll have thoughts mj dan because i i'm i have a lot of fucking thoughts on this so dan I, and i don't want to i want to let you guys uh you know, talk as well. So Dan. Yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, also shocking. I do too. Uh, this is just weird as hell. Uh, it's not necessarily evil. It's not necessarily bad, but it is necessarily weird as shit uh, for the, for, for the owners to invoke the force majeure clause and then basically say, Oh, by the way, we don't want to change anything. We just want an extra year. 
that could have been very easily negotiated independent of the force majeure. So invoking the clause is just absolutely wild. I was uh, chatting with Michael McCann on Twitter, who is a professor of sports law at the University of New Hampshire and an absolute dynamite uh, uh, follow if, you, if, you do, if you're interested in this kind of stuff. And this was his assessment as well, which is, okay, you can evaluate the additional year on its merits. It's following a World Cup, so that's it probably sacrifices long-term pay growth for short-term stability for the players. That's always a trade-off you can talk about. Different players will probably have different opinions on that. It's pretty normal. Invoking the force majeure to do it just seems like they had a different plan, and then something got messed up with it. And then they were like, oh, well, just kidding. Uh, but as long as the negotiations are open, let's uh, – well, well, we'll just tack an extra year on. So, I like, that's, that's – I, I, I just feel like I'm on tilt about this because it's legitimately like uh, having like your spouse giving you a text that's like, hey, we need to talk. We need to have a serious conversation. You're like, oh, shit. Like, this is going to be bad. And you steal yourself for, for something terrible that's forthcoming. And then they're like, I'm really feeling pizza for dinner. Like, Okay, that's fine, <laughs> but you don't lead the conversation that way. It is literally that level of holy shit, this is really bad, and we're gonna be like we, we as from the union standpoint, we need to be we need to present a unified front. We need to understand what our red lines are. To okay, like it's it. I yeah. really think the owners had another plan here. And something off the books just went totally awry. I don't know if that was TV negotiations. I don't know if it was expansion fees, but I'm on full tilt about this. So my my initial thought here is I think the players should accept because I think there's I think there's going to be enough ambiguity in next season that if they don't, they risk another five to ten percent salary decline, and that you don't want. That said you're giving up quite a bit to take this CBA past the next world cup um, where TV money should be higher. Salary should be higher. We sort of seen that stuff in the past, but how many players are going to be involved in both deals? So, so therein lies the rub and that's where, so I, I, I kind of agree with you, Dan. I, I vehemently agree with you in in certain points, right? The, 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 the players, if they are smart, the players who are currently in the league um, will take this deal because they are not going there. If, they're saying, yeah, we're going to give you 100% salaries this year. Um, we'll have the still same marginal increases. And yeah, it, and the problem is, is that because so the TV deal is up after for every team in the league after this year, right? And the current CBA, as it's negotiated, if I if I read it correctly, um, the the players don't get as much money as they do in say the MLB. Uh, deal or the NBA or even the NHL deal. I think the the players, you know, the single entity and of of MLS creates a lot of confusion around some of this stuff. So, and these players are obviously are not paid as much as most of the players are not paid as much as the NHL, NBA. I mean, the NHL is probably the, the 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 closest comparison, and even those players are making a shit ton more money than MLS players are generally, right? We can all agree. We can all agree to that point. So, 
I think the players will probably accept this or they'll negotiate. This is a, this is the opening salvo from the owners. I'm sure they'll negotiate it down a little bit and all that. Um, I think the, my guess is that the, the, the league is going to negotiate their con their TV contract for 2022 uh, until 2025. They're, they're only going to do a small contract. They're not going to do something through the, the world cup happening in United States, Mexico and Canada. They're going to, then renegotiate at that point, and they're going to make a shit ton of money. And the players are going to going to get fucked by this considerably. I think I was listening to might have been the Total Soccer Show, and they were talking a little bit about this, about how the, the owners are really only like I can't remember exactly how I should really God, I wish I would listen to it again this morning. How they were talking about this is that the owners are arguing for invoking the force majeure that they are that they are. This is a once in a lifetime thing. They're losing this insane amount of money and they can't afford to pay. They, they can't afford to, to, to do the things that the CBA asked them to do. Um, they're also then countering their offer, their counter offer now, or their offer as part of invoking the force majeure is like, you know what? We can actually eat these costs. We can pay you hundred percent of the money if we get stuff on the back end. Which those two arguments don't jive, if you actually think about them, right? They're they're saying this is such a uh, economic catastrophe. We need to invoke this clause, and then their their offer when it comes to the players is like, actually, we can eat that cost if you give us stuff on the back end, which is probably maybe part of the problem with the CBA or sorry with the single entity component of this, right? Like more owners can eat that cost than certain owners, right? And the other owners will make the other owners whole because it's all one fucking, you know, corporation. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm of the, of the piece that the, the players need to fight fucking hard here. And I would, I would, I would, I mean, they're not going to. And so I'll, I'll, I'll say this without sort of reservation. Like they need to, like, this is fucking bullshit. It's fucking bullshit as far as I'm concerned. So did you really talk yourself all the way from the players need to accept this to this is fucking bullshit? No, I, I said the players will accept it. Oh, okay. All right. That's my They bad. will accept <laughs> it because because it makes sense. Like, for the players who are currently in the league, it makes sense, right? It, it, this is like – this is how it is with most, um, you know, most of the, of the professional sports uh, union stuff. They don't think about the future players, right? Even the MLB, MLB which has probably got the – one of the strongest player unions, um, probably the strongest players union in, in the in the world, they don't think about the minor league players. Like the minor league players get paid like shit. Until you're actually a dues paying member of the of the major leagues, like they give two shits about you, right? And they, they sell those kids out constantly and they have. You know, hopefully I think they're getting a little bit better about it. Um but no, there's no one that actually sort of, you know, thinks about their future. And and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because as opposed to other unions, right? So like a a, a general labor's union or worker's union, right? You're going to be in the union for 30, 40 years, ideally. These guys are in the union for <clears throat> most of them. Probably the average is, is maybe at most 10 years. And in the NFL, it's, it's significantly lower. Major League Baseball is maybe a little bit higher. Um, MLS is probably five to seven years for most of these guys who are in the union. So I don't necessarily begrudge them 
of that and of thinking of themselves. But there's also, I don't know. I just have, I have a lot of thoughts about this and I'm a fucking communist. So there's that. <laughs> MJ, do you have any thoughts? I still don't have any thoughts other than. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, I don't apologize. Uh, I take up enough airtime on this podcast as, as it is with my various rants. And I, just to be honest with you, I, as much as I am pro-union and, and pro-labor, I am not as well-versed with unions and labor, specifically with sports, as you two are. So I appreciate yeah. that you guys know a lot more about this. I spent a lot of time researching this in college, and, and I've worked in unions and, and been on the other side, I've been on the management side. And yeah, it just it just makes way more sense to for more unions in this fucking country. But you know, it's neither neither here nor there. So, Dan, any last words on any of this stuff? Otherwise, we'll jump into uh, MJ's favorite segment, Once a Loon. Yeah, I mean, I think the last piece of this that, that's worth mentioning is we keep referencing the World Cup. And that is because it has been a seminal event in the growth of U.S. soccer every iteration, with the exception of last time out, obviously, because the U.S. didn't make it. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how much longer that continues because at some point soccer starts to hit its saturation point and you know, whether you like it or not. I mean, we're still getting massive exposure increases and MLS TV numbers validate that. So it'll, so the owners are going forward under this supposition that every world cup is going to make them more money and more money and more money. And at some point that won't be true. And my hunch is that's actually going to be sooner rather than later. So it'll be interesting to see how long they can kick this can down the road. And at what point they go, oh, shit, we thought increases were coming and they're not coming. And, and that'll be a real turning point for the league. But for, for now, it, it'll continue to be true. But, but this is not a forever process for them. Right. Now, I will say two, one credit to Mark Abbott and, and Don Garber is that um, I think they were specifically asked about expansion and, and expanding expansion right there the t- they are going to 30 teams uh next year um i know the nba people have asked adam silver the, the nba commissioner and he specifically said yeah we are very much exploring going to 32 teams to raise money because we lost money this last year and a half or we're gonna lose money this year we lost money a bunch, bunch of money last year we're gonna lose a bunch of money this year we're expanding we're you know expanding that or talking through that because that's money that we can give to the owners because that money doesn't go to the players, right? And the expansion fees don't go to players, which is, I think, no, you know, take uh, Don, Dan Grabber for, you know, whatever it's worth his word, but they said that they're not going to expand their expansion plans um, because that expansion fee money does, again, doesn't go to players. That goes into the owner's pockets. That goes into the the single entity structure, um, which is not paid out to players. So give them credit there until they prove us wrong. Um, but yeah, so interesting, interesting stuff to, to keep an eye on. Um, I, I, and part of the other thing here is that the conversations that were happening, they're, they're trying to talk a big game about starting season up uh, in late March. I, no one thinks that's going to happen, honestly. Um, you know, they're trying to ideally, and I think, you know, Minnesota, as someone who's here in Minnesota, I don't think we will see fans in the stands uh, at professional sporting events until I would say maybe September at the earliest, maybe the start of, of the NFL season, which would jive with, you know, the end of the MLS season beginning 
towards the beginning of the uh, uh, NHL season again. Um, I think that would be the earliest we'll see fans, uh, any significant number of fans in MLS stadiums. Um, you know, generally, like obviously every state's different. So I think MLS is, is keeping that in mind as well. Like they're trying to, I think they'll try to push back the start of the season as long as they possibly can as well. So it's a whole other thing. All right, MJ, something a little nicer. Let's talk. Let's talk about a, a former loon, uh, the former starting goalkeeper for the Minnesota uh, Minnesota United FC, John Abosha. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Force Majeure because Force Majeure was actually an award-winning film in 2014 from Sweden. And if you haven't seen it, it's about a family on in a ski resort in the French Alps. It's fucking incredible. It touches on a lot of different things about family and truth and how people perceive different events. Um, and it's even got a little comedy in there too. But speaking of force majeure in Sweden, our first goalkeeper in MLS from Minnesota United was John Alvega. And last I checked, he was with uh, Ammonia Nicosia in Cyprus, which is about a year ago. And if, for those that, I think everyone knows who John Alvega is, but he played the season opener in Portland when we first went to MLS in 2017. And then we came to TCF Bank, our home opener, and against Atlanta United in the 84th minute, there was a collision with John Alvega, the goalkeeper, and Jermaine Taylor, who somehow worked himself into the, the starting lineup as Jermaine Taylor Jermaine was Taylor. tracking Atlanta United's winger, Hector Villalba. And Jermaine Taylor actually ends up trying a slide tackle. I believe he, he missed the ball completely and, and slides right into John Alberger's knee. Um, so he's out with, an, John Alberger is, is out with a knee laceration. And this starts two love affairs for Loons fans. One, the love affair with backup goalkeeper Bobby Shuttleworth. And the second, the love affair, love affair with hating on Jermaine Taylor. In April, away to Houston, this time it was Bobby Shovelworth's turn to have a collision with Albert Elise, um, who scored on a free kick but uh, collided with Shuttleworth's face, hence the, the face mask that Shuttleworth had to wear. And so for a third game, Alberga comes in mostly plays the entire he plays for the basically the rest of the first half and the entire second half and that is the last we saw of John Alfoga um he's loaned to Norway Stabæk two years after Bob Bradley had, had coached the team um spends a full 2018-19 season in Cyprus playing only two games and then I did not realize that briefly in 2019 he played seven games with IK Sirius and the Allsvenskan, the top league in Sweden, IK Sirius may sound familiar because I mentioned that team before on this segment because that is where Mohamed Saeed plays once a loon. Um, so last season, he got picked up by Lindholm, and Lindholm plays 
in the tier three. They have managed in 2019 to get to the third tier for the third time in their club's history. Obliga started 26 of their 30 league games um, and got them to fourth place in the league. So good for him. They, uh, Lindholm, uh, their first game is coming up in late February, February 20th. If you weren't familiar with uh, the John Aboga's uh, Twitter or Instagram presence, the dude loved live music and would go to lots of shows, um, and uh, some interesting shows. And he was he's fa- he's he's a fucking fantastic Instagram follow. I think I still follow him on Instagram. He's he's a, a fucking fantastic Instagram follow. I highly encourage you to do that. So, and if you can find audio of his interviews in English when he was here, dude's got a great voice. Fabulous uh, Swedish, Swedish English accent. So yeah, I think he got. Man, if he would have just been given Ikapara, how different <laughs> yeah. it would be for him right now. It, it just that's one of those things. It just it kind of blows my mind of just how you know. Obviously, he's we spent we spent a, a fair amount of money on him. Obviously. Um, we had a bunch of money to spend, a bunch of Tam and Gam and shit. Um, but if he had actually had a decent defense in front of him, I think we would still be singing uh, about John Aboga uh, here in Minnesota. Can you imagine Ike Para, Brent Coleman, who eventually, like in the latter part of, of that season, earned his way into the starting lineup with Adrian Heath? Can you imagine, like, Ike Para, Brent Coleman, center back, and, and Jerry Jerry Piazon, like, and Aboga with that, with, Three out of those four, like amazing. Yeah, yeah. He, I, he, I think he got a he got a, a raw deal here in Minnesota, unfortunately. But you know, it's uh, that's the way it's the way things are. So, uh, all right. Um, don't have a ton of stuff locally. Uh, I bought the uh, I, so for format. I, I bought the the formats and they 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 introduced a drip kit uh, zip sweater or zip sweatshirt. Which is fucking great. Um, I would encur- highly encourage people to uh, check it out. Uh, I definitely bought one. I'm gonna pick it up in Madison in a couple weeks when I go down, go down and visit uh, Anna's folks. Um, but they're, you know, obviously Madison's always releasing kick-ass new merch, so you can always just go to their website and, and find something cool. Uh, and the Minneapolis City Minute, uh, Minneapolis, they, they, so they just started their tryouts i think for 2021 um obviously i think they're obviously trying to plan for a a season weirdly i think we'll be in the stands for minneapolis city matches before we will be in the stands for minnesota united matches um just because the the numbers of people (laughs) that will be allowed um minneapolis city actually like that's about the number of people who actually show up for matches uh versus what like minnesota united what it costs to open their stadium. So I think there's a very good possibility. You will see me in a, at a Minneapolis city match before you'll see me at a Minnesota United match, um, post pre-vaccine or post-vaccine, whatever. Um, but Minnesota football show, our friends or Minnesota football show, they interviewed, uh, Sarah Schreier, uh, who was on our podcast, uh, about a month and a half ago, six weeks ago, something like that. Um, recently. So they haven't released it yet, but, uh, if you, you should subscribe to the Minnesota football show, on whatever podcast uh, app that you listen to this stupid fucking podcast on. Um, listen to those guys. There's, you know, Eric Silverbrenneman, Rodrigo, Bridget, Sheila Regan. They actually, uh, some of them are journalists. Some of them are way smarter at football than us. So listen to those guys. 
uh, yeah, listen to what uh, Minneapolis City's doing. They're doing some really cool stuff, obviously, always. All right, let's jump into some Europe stuff. Let's start with, I want to start with first with our Union Berlin uh, fan. <laughs> um, so Rob, our friend Rob, uh, Union Berlin fan, a fellow Everton uh, fan, uh, MJ and him are Everton fans, obviously. We'd love to hear more of you dudes talk about the meteoric rise of Union Berlin every week. Uh, he would even like us to make it a new segment. And Dan, I'm going to throw it to you. Should we make Union Berlin a new segment on the podcast every week? Uh, I mean, not unless we're also going to do one on Dortmund, the team that's actually fun to watch. Oh, what? Shots what? fired, buddy. Um, oh, so, oh. so I want to, so I want, I want before I'll let MJ jump in, in here very quickly, but I want to say, I, I, I love, I, I'm a Dortmund fan. I'm also a Berlin fan, right? I, I literally, I split the, the, you know, I'm fucking whatever, uh, King Solomon or whatever, splitting the baby. I love both Dortmund and Union Berlin. I feel like I can love them both. I don't, I, I don't really care about the Bundesliga outside of St. Pauli. So I'm like, oh yeah, I like, I like this Dortmund team. I also like Union Berlin. Um, much like I, much like my Liga MX uh, fandom, it's just like, eh, I like Lyon, I like Pumas, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not really beholden to one team or the other. I have a Dortmund hat. I don't have any Union Berlin gear. I actually have a St. Pauli jersey. So that's where my, my allegiance lies with St. Pauli, ultimately. But I love watching both Union Berlin and Dortmund. So MJ, please make the case for Union Berlin, for, for our, our tens of listeners. For our tens of listeners. As Conrad had said in our Bundesliga uh, preseason... Which we didn't invite you to, Dan. (laughs) What? Which we did not invite Dan to. Yeah, yeah. Screw you, Dan. Uh, (laughs) Screw you and your doorman. Side note, before before Conrad got me into Union Berlin, and I fell in love with Union Berlin more than I have any other German team, including St. Pauli, uh, I was a Schalke fan. And so you Dortmund fans can just screw yourselves. Oh, um, that explains so much about, yeah, you're, you're, you, of course you're a Schalke fan. You're an Everton fan. Of course you're a Schalke fan. Blue, blue kits, per, perennial European uh, participation. That doesn't really sound like Everton to me. I guess except for the blue kit. I'll just, I'll just say Union Berlin is currently sitting in fifth place in the Bundesliga um, in the Europa League spots. And MJ, explain to people you I, I i watch union berlin as much as i possibly can i haven't watched as much as i have re, you know recently why is union berlin a fun a fun game, team to watch obviously obviously we know why Dortmund's a fun team to watch jane sancho erling holland um the the, the the combination goal that the team had when erling holland actually like used his fucking head to put the ball in the net um which he's done what twice in his entire career with his head it or at least in in, in the bundesliga um Obviously, we in Gio Reyna, we know Dortmund's fun to watch. Why is Union Berlin fun to watch, MJ? They have this weird mix of players who have been with Union Berlin since they were baby in the third Bundesliga. Well, at least the the fight that the the second Bundesliga league. They have players that have been Unioners for a long time, and then they picked up some other Bundesliga cast-offs here or there. You know, they have this other striker that they picked up from some club called Liverpool. Oh, yeah, they do. Um, who's finally coming in and, and scoring. 
Um, they have this very dynamic attacking player named Geraldo Becker, who is really good on both sides of the ball. If you want to see a, see a winger uh, who can score and pass and also press and defend, uh, watch Geraldo Becker. It's, it's, it's fabulous. Um, and their captain is a guy by the name of uh, Trimble. He plays uh, fullback, um, also really good on both sides of the ball. The thing that I really like about watching Union Berlin is what I like about watching soccer in general. And that is less so the crazy bicycle kicks and amazing goals, which we all love to watch, don't get me wrong. But what they do with how little or how much they have, um, which is to say what formations they play, um, how disciplined they are in their positions and formations as far as defensively and attacking wise, they dot a lot of I's and cross a lot of T's very well. And Urs Fischer, the, the manager, has obviously designed a system and a way of playing that works very well for the, the talent level that they have. And this goes back to what Conrad said in the preseason show, which is that when you watch Bundesliga, it's a little less technical and a little bit more tactical. And to me, Union Berlin are the exemplify that way more so than Dortmund or Bayern Munich do because they have talent or more talent and have more technical skills on the ball where some superstars can really take over the game. And Berlin does has a lot less of that. And so you see how they manufacture their goals with tactics, passing, cutting um, certain rotations of the ball. You see how they manufacture the defense they have against better, stronger teams. And it's really fun to watch. And to case in point, in, in 12 days, they played Bayern Munich, Stuttgart, and Borussia Dortmund. They drew Bayern at home, they drew Stuttgart away, and they beat Dortmund 2-1. Sorry, Dortmund fans. Dan, how do you feel about that? Without Holland. And and Dortmund needs Holland. I mean, I they aren't a one-trick pony by any stretch of the imagination. But when you have a player that good, your team does start to start to revolve around them. They have Marco Royce. They have Jaden Sancho. Why, you know... <laughs> are are either of those players even in the same zip code as Erling Holland right now? <laughs> like no joke. Like I understand that Jaden Sancho is a great player and he's arguably the future of English soccer, which is a condemnation in and of itself. Uh, and actually, the future of English soccer is uh, Emil Smith Rowe, but I'll save that for another podcast. Uh, and and I wouldn't. There are zero people in this entire world, including Jaden Sancho's parents that think he's a better footballer than Erling Holland is right now. And I think Holland proved that against Leipzig when he, I'm not going to say one man armied them, but pretty damn close to one man armied them. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I, I love Union Berlin. I, I really, I kind of really hope that they can keep this up, that they can stay, you know, in this uh, Europa league, having them play in Europe, uh, even if it's Europa league would be fucking phenomenal. Um, it just, there's, I mean, Mönchengladbach, uh, Freiburg, um, has been, you know, hit and miss, um, Wolfsburg is, they, you know, avoiding their, 
weird, crazy relegation battle last year. Somehow, like they actually are playing up to their potential. Um, I'm not sure how much Union Berlin can keep going, um, but man, it's uh, it's fantastic that they're that they're playing as well as they are, and are honestly like they're only three points off of Dortmund in for fourth place. Uh, Dortmund sitting currently in fourth. Uh, on 20 points. Um, MJ, that, that kind of is a good segue to uh, to what you kind of want to talk about very briefly. Um, we'll talk, and we're going to actually, we talked about this in a previous podcast, and I think we're actually going to break down and we maybe get some, some friends on for a sort of what is the power rankings of soccer leagues across the world? I think I want to say world, not even just Europe. Um, but MJ, you, you put together a, a silly Euro parody ranking um, you want to tell us a little bit about that and then break it down and then we can maybe talk a little for this, you know, for five minutes or so. Basically, when I look at the top European leagues, which we can all agree on which five those are. Uh, one of the things I look at when I check the tables is how many points from how far do you have to get down to get to 10 points? It's really, really, you know, what do I say? Random? Like, why do I pick 10? Um, I could look at, you know, I could do number of points from first place to last place and then an average and look at mean, median, and mode and standard deviation. But no, I just, you know, look how many spots down the table when you have to get 10 points away from the leader. And it's just a nice way because the who might be first place, they might have 44 points, they might have 22. You just don't know. So 10 points off the leader is just a nice length. For in fifth place, La Liga, there's six places between the 10 points. So Atletico Madrid is in first. You go down 10 points, you get to uh, Sevilla, and then there is a huge drop-off after Sevilla. And so that's why they're in fifth place. Serie A, also first and sixth place, but only nine points. And then in seventh place, it's like 11 points. And then there's 13 points. And so the next spot's a little closer. So Syria gets fourth place. Syria, AC Milan in first place, by the way. Yes. For the first um, time in a long time. Uh, our friend Mo will really appreciate that. Mo Karazi, that's for you. Yeah. I'm going to see that guy tomorrow, but I'm going to be with him. So yeah. don't remind I'll, him. I'll tell him to mention him on the podcast. That you that you um, very definitively not mentioned his team's name in the podcast. Well, as as a uh, Josie Mourinho Inter fan from from the the nineties, what do you what do you expect from me? Right, um, right. I forgot you're a racist. So, <laughs> um, here's the thing. Aside. Apart from their fans being racist or more racist than AC Milan fans, the ownership has brought in way more outsiders and way more people from foreign international losses than AC Milan has, including when they had Ronaldinho and fucking David David Beckham. So I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna make fun of Inter Mil- or uh, AC Milan and the comparison between the two Milan teams, what a start and finish with Silvio Berlusconi being the former <laughs> owner of AC Milan. <laughs> David, David, bunga bunga party Zeller over there. <laughs> listen, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending the guy or the team. I, listen, yeah, there are a bunch of racists uh, in Italy. There's a bunch of racists in the U.S. We just found out, um, or like everybody else in the world found out uh, on 
Um, you know, a lot of us knew about that, but you know what? Everybody else found out. So yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like uh, it's a little bit like the, the awkward family dinner in which somebody starts screaming at somebody else. Like, well, we all knew that there were problems, but typically this is not the way we would choose to expose them. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so the, take, the takeaway from this segment is nuke the city of Milan from orbit. <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. All right, MJ, yes, it would. It would. It would. Yeah, yeah. No, Milan's great. Milan's great. MJ, please keep going. Syria, uh, pull us up. Pull place. us out. Pull us out, MJ. Pull us out. Leon gets third place. Instead of six places, it takes you seven places to get ten points off lead. So you have Atletico Madrid in in the first spot, and you have to go seven spots down before you get ten points off of Atletico Madrid. Bundesliga, nine places, ten points. You have to go down from from Bayern Munich. Nine places before you get 10 points off the lead. And then, weirdly enough, where I would argue there's sometimes more parity in Syria and Bundesliga than this league, the Premier League, 12 spots, thanks to one team's recent many draws and a few losses, is there are 10 points between first and 12 between a team that I hate to admit is in first place and Leeds United. Who's in first place? Uh, some other team that starts with an L. It's not Leeds United. Oh, okay. You mean Buster? Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you mean Liverpool. Liverpool, the uh, the best team in uh, in Europe right now. They're not the best team in Europe right now. Uh <laughs> You know, I think I think this is really indicative of something that we have seen happening in the Premier League over the last few years outside of the top four. The top four felt so detached from the rest of the league, but the floor for what it takes to be a, a, an effective Premier League team is getting higher and higher and higher. And we've seen this exemplified by the fact that teams that aren't aren't in that top four really can finish anywhere from fifth to twelfth. And this season, because we are seeing, and I, I chalk this up to the fixture list, because we are seeing Liverpool and Man City not run away with things, Manchester United starting to return to their former glory, uh, Chelsea being really inconsistent, clearly not a dominant team, but tough to break down. Uh, all of a sudden, it has opened up the the bridge sort of from that top four, top six into the rest of the league. I mean, hell, this doesn't even include Arsenal, who was terrible for a couple of months, but now actually look like a decent team, and they'll make a run up the table, theoretically, hopefully. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think this parity has been growing for the last several years, but it's been obscured by the fact that you did have teams, Manchester City and Liverpool in particular, that just blew everyone else away. So it didn't really matter that three points was the differential between 7th and 10th, or 7th and 15th because the top was so out of reach. Yeah. Valid point. And, and this, this has been building for, for a while. I remember talking to my friend, I'll throw out Jason Schwartz, uh, who is a former broomball buddy and, and watches a lot of soccer. Uh, a few years back when Minnesota was still in the NASL, um, we were talking about leagues and I was complaining about, you know, you look at, La Liga, it's the same three teams. You look at Portugal, it's the same three teams. And at the time, you look at uh, Ligue Olympic Lyonnais had not returned to their former glory. So it was just PSV and everybody else. And Germany was Bayern Munich and everyone else. And the Premier League team was, the, the Premier League was, was like, well, you had their, your top four or six and everybody else. 
And he made the argument, he's like, if, if I were you, you want to watch uh, a, uh, every season's different and there's different teams at the top and has great parity, start watching more MLS. I was like, ah, Minnesota doesn't have a, have a team in MLS. So I can't get into them. But I think he was right. Oh, it is. Uh, no judgment. No, no, I think you're right, Dan. Um, your point, your point is, the the league is getting a much, it's much, getting much more condensed. Um, and we've had a a ridiculous period of the last like three years where Liverpool and Man City were just insanely awesome and also insanely healthy. Um, I think you you can chalk a lot of what Liverpool's like their drop back to the pack here has been like obviously they're you know lots of injuries um, injuries to key guys not no I'm not saying that's an excuse because every team has injuries but for the last two and a half years or so Liverpool is a really fucking healthy team they didn't have the same injuries that a lot of teams had like where they lost one of their best guys for a significant period of time Liverpool just happened to have like you know three guys go down in the space of you know three weeks six weeks or something um so I think you're right. I think the the Premier League, and I think part of it actually, what I would what I would argue too is that the Premier League, the reason the Premier League is so is this way is because the money is distributed equally. Um, unlike La Liga, where you know Spain or uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid get the lion's share of the TV money, um, the TV money in the Premier League is distributed evenly. Um, they're obviously the 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 money you get for placing in the in the in the league differs based on how you you place in the league but like all that like all that extra um all the uh you know outside of the britain money that all gets distributed equally across the league which allows those teams to buy better players so i think and well i think we've we've kind of hinted at what we want to talk about in terms of ranking leagues and stuff um and i i I think the the entire conversation the crux of this conversation is where does mls rank like we had to rank leagues where does mls rank in the world in terms of leagues mls is clearly not anywhere near these top six or top five of leagues they are i think a lot higher than a lot of people think especially right now when don garber was talking about mls being one of the top five leagues in the world top 10 leagues in the world um whatever that was like five years ago um we're a lot closer to that now than we were when he when he said that. I don't think we're as close as people think we are, but I think MLS is a lot closer than people actually think they are. And so I think this is a conversation I think that we're going to have uh, as a Patreon con- uh, podcast. I want to bring in some some friends. I want to bring in some South American friends and some other people to help us have this conversation because I think that's going to be really important because I think we're not contributing. We're not thinking about South America as part of this conversation and then other teams in Europe. So, or other leagues in Europe, sorry. So um, thank you, MJ. This is, this is fantastic. So anything else you want to add? You have the last word on this? No, just that uh, I look forward to discussing on the, on the Patreon podcast, looking outside of Europe and, and comparisons with MLS and the South, South America. I can throw in some Asian things, but right. Um, sorry, Asian Asian football confederation things. Uh, not my opinions on Xiaomi. Uh, <laughs> well, no, no one wants to hear that. That's um, an entirely separate Patreon podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm looking forward to expanding on, on this. And, you know, it's one of those things that 
we can compare on how teams do in Europe. And when Barcelona and Real Madrid were winning UEFA Champions League, you know, certainly La Liga was one of the top teams. But I think there are more, I shouldn't say more important, there are other ways to measure how good a league is. And I think parity is one of those is one of those things. Excellent. Uh, Dan, any last words? No, good to be back. Good to good to hang out with you boys. Hopefully, uh, we get some clarity on when MLS starts, and uh, that'd be nice. Figure out the schedule from there. Actually, you know what? As I'm sure, as much as we would like clarity on when MLS is going to start, so would the players, and so would the owners. Right. Right. Yeah. I. I I'll say. So my 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 kid turns uh, two at the end of this week on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. If I could throw out a a birthday present from You know the the Dave's I know family of, of people who listen to this podcast uh, would be getting his dad a job because his dad is getting really <laughs> really frustrated with hanging out with his kid twenty four hours a day. Uh, I, I love my I love Ragnar, but you know it's uh I would love a I, I love a job, love a job so much. All right, <laughs> please rate and review the podcast wherever you get it. Dave's I know dot com. Uh, patreon.com slash the days I know uh, we're at TDIKMN on Twitter. I'm at Texas Zeller. Dan's at D Wade. MJ's at MJ Matsui. Bill is at Bill underscore McGuire. He's going to be back soon. I know because uh, I just chatted with him uh, on the signal the other day. Uh, he'll be back soon. Um, please rate and review the podcast again. Hit us up wherever at TDIKMN on Twitter. Uh, we've been the days you know. This is I know. try and work it out because we both do nothing at all. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, 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 o